You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God of all wisdom, teach us to fear you as the God who created this world and saved us out of sin and death. Make us wise for life, make us wise for salvation, and make us wise in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines the word resolution as, quote, a firm decision to do or not to do something. It's a clear commitment that come hell or high water, I will follow through on what I have decided. It's a wonder then that we even make so-called New Year's resolutions, isn't it? Well, let's face it, for many of us, our Bible reading plans, they go as far as Leviticus. Our diets go as far as Lunar New Year. And let's be honest, your workout regime has already failed, hasn't it? Some people have said that New Year's resolutions are really just the to-do list for the first week of January. I suspect that's probably right. I wonder how you feel about the year ahead. What do you want to achieve? I know that many of us here are actually facing significant life transitions. Study, work, marriage, family. And as Mark said, even as a church here, we're entering the second year of our life together. We're figuring out what it looks like to be the family of God. And so, as we look to the year ahead, I want to suggest for us that we as a church, both individually and corporately, make a resolution. That we resolve to be wise, that we resolve to be wise. Let's make this a year of wisdom. Because if you think about it, wisdom is actually the key to every other resolution we will ever make. It's the key to a good life. In fact, if we learn how to be wise, we will possess the single most important attribute of living in this world. Wisdom, it it helps us answer the questions that many of us here are asking every single day. What degree should I study? What job should I take? Is it time for me to move out of home? Who should I marry? Should I ask her out? Should I say yes? Wisdom will help us answer all of these questions and then some. It will help us all answer every single question that confronts us. Because wisdom helps us live a good life that pleases God. When we're confronted with a difficult decision, wisdom helps us make the right call. You see, at its most basic, wisdom is the skill of living well. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the first month of this year. How can we be wise? And to do that, we're going to look at Proverbs chapters 1 to 9. Now, you've got to understand, these first nine chapters of Proverbs, they give us the big picture of wisdom. And then chapters 10 to 31, they're full of wise sayings. In these uh, first nine chapters, we learn how to be wise. These first chapters make us wise. And the next 21 chapters show us practically what does that look like? How do I be wise when it comes to money, friendships, marriage, work, and words? And so over the coming years, we're going to be looking at some of those topics in chapters 10 to 31. But as we begin our journey in this book, we want to start with the first nine chapters. The most important chapters, the heart of wisdom. 
So firstly, why wisdom? I want you to notice the purpose of Proverbs in verses 1 and 2. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings. I love books like this. They basically leave no guesswork there. Solomon's pretty much just laying his cards on the table. And he's not just telling us why he's written this book, he's telling us why you and I should actually read it. If you want to learn wisdom and discipline, read this book. Now, let me be clear. He's not talking about just knowing something in our heads. He's talking about experiencing it in our hearts, living it out in our lives. Often when we don't get something or we don't understand something, what do we say? We say, I just don't get it. Well, if you want to get what life is all about, read this book. If you want to understand insightful sayings, as Solomon says, read this book. A number of years ago, I was watching a TV series called Sherlock. And Sherlock Holmes is famous for this particular saying, you see, but you do not observe. You see, but you do not observe. That, that's the sort of understanding that Solomon is talking about here. Right? If you want to learn how to drive a car, it helps to know how it works. It pays to learn about the engine, the brake pads, the spin wheel and the radiator. It's worth opening up the bonnet once in a while and having a look inside. Well, in Proverbs, God is opening up the bonnet of this world. And he is showing us how this world works. If you want to know how this world works, if you want to know how your life works, read this book. But I want to suggest that wisdom is about much more than just figuring out this world. It's not just about being street smart or successful. And it's about far more than just winning friends and influencing people. No, wisdom is about righteousness, justice and integrity. It's not just about living a smart life. It's about living a good life. It's about living a godly life. See, Proverbs is a book for all of us who want to be like Jesus. It doesn't work on the outside, but from the inside. It works first on our hearts and then on our heads and our hands. Proverbs, it opens up the bonnet of our lives and in one sense it cleans out the engine that is our hearts. Because wisdom doesn't tell us what to do so much as it transforms who we are. It actually makes us into a whole new person. Wisdom and Proverbs is actually about giving us wisdom for all of life, for all of life. And it's also giving wisdom for all of us, for all of us. Just look at verse 4. For teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a, here it is, young man. Now, looking around, this room is full of young men and women, not exclusively, but predominantly. Now, in Solomon's time, you were considered young if you were under 30 years old, which no longer includes me, sadly. You see, young people, they have a remarkable talent for thinking of themselves as invincible. It's one of the great attributes that comes with youth, actually. You know, the ability to dream dreams, to be idealistic, and not just to ask why, but why not? But if I can be a little bit honest with my 30 years of life experience... That starry-eyed idealism yet hasn't yet hit the harshness of our world. Because our world isn't ideal. It isn't everything we want it to be. And, but when we're young, we don't know what we don't know. We haven't yet been schooled by suffering. That's why Solomon describes us as inexperienced. 
an untrained Padawan in almost every area of our lives. You see, when we're young, we're still growing. We're still figuring things out. We're still navigating life's uncertainties. And let's face it, it's that time that we make a lot of mistakes, isn't it? Whether it's choosing the wrong degree, going on that blind date that turned out to be a really bad idea. I remember a number of years ago, a friend complaining to me. She said, all the 20-year-old men at our church are arrogant and immature. And I'm like, what did you expect? They're 20-year-old men. They're almost hardwired to be arrogant and immature. You know, these are the years that we grow from girls to women and from boys to men. But they're also the years that we can really lose our way, aren't they? I've been really astonished by the number of friends in their late 20s who have left relationships, quit jobs, and moved cities all to find themselves. And it's shocking how many young men and women have made bad decisions that have set their lives on a totally different trajectory. You see, friends, if you're a young person here today, these are some of the most important and vulnerable years of your life. And some decisions that you make today will set the trajectory of your lives for the rest of tomorrow. So if there's any time you need wisdom, it's now. Now you might be sitting there going, about time, finally, someone's told these young punks to grow up. You know, I remember when I was like them, but those days they're long behind me. I mean, sure, those young people are unwise as anything, but not me. I've learned how to do, like, I could write a book on it. If that's you, Solomon wants you to know that actually we never grow out of needing wisdom. We never grow out of needing wisdom. Just look at verse 5. Let a wise person listen and increase learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50 or 60. We can never be wise enough. It's not as if wisdom is some sort of kit in our, you know, tool in our kit bag or weapon in our inventory that once we get, we somehow keep forever. No, it's something that we grow in over a lifetime. Being wise is sort of like being spiritually fit. You never really quite arrive. We need to keep training. We need to keep growing. So whether you're starting out and just a bit blur about life or a bit further on and kind of cluey about this world, I want you to know that you need wisdom. You need this book. Because Proverbs is offering wisdom for all of life. And it's offering wisdom to all of us. And so now Solomon, he zeroes in on the heart of wisdom. What is the most important thing that I need to know about being wise? Well, here it is in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Step one, fear the Lord. Step two, fear the Lord. Step three, fear the Lord. In many ways, this is the beginning, the middle, and the end of being wise. But you might wonder, that's a strange term, right? What does it even mean to fear the Lord? Well, contrary to common misconception, I was born here in Australia. Uh, my parents moved to Melbourne uh, from Malaysia in the 1960s, and that meant only one thing, really. They raised me like they were raised as if I was in Malaysia in the 1960s. So whenever I misbehaved as a child, there was only one thing that happened. They brought out something called a rattan or a bamboo cane. And can I tell you, it was terrifying. I would have nightmares of my parents chasing me around the house wielding that cane. 
Is that what it means to fear the Lord? Is God a bit like an angry father in heaven wielding this cosmic bamboo cane ready to just keep us all in line? I'm not sure that that's the picture here. You see, fearing the Lord doesn't mean being terrified or afraid of Him. No, it means acknowledging who He is. It means living in light of who He is. He's the powerful and perfect creator, ruler, and judge of this world. Fearing the Lord means respecting Him, standing in awe of Him. It means acknowledging that God is God and we are not. It's about having a relationship of total trust and obedience. You know, growing up in Sunday school, they used to make us memorize Bible verses. And it was great. I mean, it wasn't great at the time, but it's great now that I've remembered them. And here's one that was water-tortured into me from a young age. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him and He will make your paths straight. Just think about that for a moment, right? Where does it all start? Trust. Trust in the Lord. The foundation of wisdom is a relationship with God. And it's a relationship of total and utter dependence. A relationship of trust, a relationship of faith. You see, Proverbs is not some sort of instruction manual for life. It doesn't contain explicit advice for every possible situation. If you're thinking about, should I ask her out, you can't just turn to the dating section of Proverbs and get an answer. It doesn't work that way. Because wisdom is not about directing us what to do. It's about shaping who we are. And it all starts with a relationship. A relationship of dependence, trust and obedience. It starts with a relationship of faith. It begins, it continues and it ends with one thing. Fearing the Lord. In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Aslan is that great line. He's called the king above all high kings in Narnia. And when young Susan, that girl, is about to meet him for the first time, Mr. Beaver says to her this, Aslan is a lion. The lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'll feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. No, no, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, that's what it means to fear the Lord. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Just look at Exodus 34. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. To fear the Lord means acknowledging that God is not safe. Gosh, He's the creator and the sustainer, the ruler and the judge of this world. How in the world could someone that majestic, that terrific, that powerful be safe? But He's good and He's the King. And you and I are called to fear Him, to trust Him, and to worship Him. You know, so often we're used to seeing God as our best friend. I grew up in church singing a particular song that I'm not going to sing right now, but it went something to the effect of, Jesus, you are my best friend, and you will always be, and 
nothing will ever change that. And on one level, that's entirely true. He is and nothing will ever change that. But do we see God in His glory? Do we tremble at His holiness? Do we bow before His throne? Do we honour His holy name? Yes. Feel free to approach this God with our every need. But we need to know who this God really is. He is not safe, but He is good. And now Proverbs tells us two things about this God whom we are to fear. Two things. Number one, firstly, He is the covenant God, the covenant God. A covenant is a promise. And we worship a God who has promised to save His people out of sin and death. I want you to look carefully at verse 7. Have you noticed that verse 7, the word Lord is capitalized? All letters are capitalized. Now let's be clear about what happened or what didn't happen here. Solomon didn't accidentally leave caps lock on and he's not shouting the word Lord. Now whenever you see these capitalized letters, it is referring to God's special name. The name Yahweh. Or we might read it, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. You know, back in Malaysia, one of my cousins is called Daniel, and that's his real name. But he has another name, a special name, a name that only those who are closest to him would ever use. Now, if you don't know my cousin, it would be pretty strange and almost inappropriate for you to call him by this special name. And who knows why that special name, for whatever reason, along with every other young Malaysian male, is called a boy. And when Daniel hears that name, a boy, he's hearing the voice of someone who knows him, someone who loves him, someone has a special relationship with him. If you don't know Daniel and you walk up to him and go, hey boy, he'll be like, who are you? You, you don't have that relationship to use my name. Well, Solomon now is using God's special name, but it is not a boy, it's Yahweh. And as soon as Israel hears that name, they remember the very first time they heard it. They remember the Exodus. They remember that moment where God covenanted or promised to save his people out of slavery. Just look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. You see, this is not just any God. This is the God who loves you, who chose you, who saved you, who set his heart on you. This is the God who promised to redeem you out of sin and death. And so when you and I speak that name, the Lord, when we speak that name, Yahweh, we are remembering that God, the one true God, who honored his covenant and fulfilled his promise. We're remembering the God who brought us out from the yoke of Satan and rescued us from slavery to sin. We're remembering that God who redeemed us with an outstretched arm and a great act of salvation. We're remembering the day when He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. My gosh, this is a God whom we can fear. This is a God who is worthy of our trust. Now, a number of years ago, a friend of mine graduated law school. He won first-class honours. He even authored two papers that were published in reputable academic journals. But for whatever reason, he couldn't find a job for over a year. What was he to do? 
Should he look outside Melbourne? Should he apply for, my gosh, non-legal jobs? He needed to make a decision. He needed wisdom to know what to do. So what did he do? He did what every young man would do. They ask advice from absolutely everyone. They become the feedback junkie of the world. And then with, you know, 360 opinions after having done a 360-degree feedback mechanism, they get analysis paralysis. They just don't know what to do. Well, at the end of the day, what made the biggest difference for my friend was this. It was fearing the Lord. It was trusting the covenant God, the God of promise, the God who loves him. It was trusting that God is in control and that his plans, whatever they might be, are infinitely better than ours. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. What a wonderful proverb, isn't it? You know the great tragedy, though? The great tragedy would be to not trust the Lord and so see his plans... His good plans as bad plans, all because they're not our plans. Does that make sense? The great tragedy would be to misconstrue God's good plans as bad plans, all because they're not our plans. See, if you want to be wise, fear the Lord who saved you, the Lord who chose you, the Lord who loved you. Fear the Lord who is working all things together for your good and His glory. Because true wisdom means not trusting in our circumstances, but trusting in our Savior. Wisdom begins with fearing the Lord, trusting the covenant God. Number two, we must fear the Creator God, the Creator God. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. Now wisdom is speaking, and this is what she says. The Lord acquired me at the beginning of his creation, before his works of long ago. I was born before ancient times, from the beginning before the earth began. I was born when there were no watery depths and no springs filled with water. Before the mountains were established prior to the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the land, the fields, or the first soil on earth. You see, friends, God is the architect of this world. And just like any good building, this world has a structure. It has foundations, beams, frames, brick, and mortar. Believe it or not, this world is not random. There's an order to how this world works, moral rules for how things are meant to be. Now I wonder, has anyone here heard that saying, pride comes before a fall? Pride comes before a fall, or you might know, double the pride, twice the fall. Well, I want you to see where it comes from. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Do you see what this, this proverb is saying? It's making a general observation about the way this world works. It's reflecting the moral order of this world. And that was not the case all the time. It's generally true that pride is the first step to failure. You know, there's an order to this world because God created it not randomly, but in wisdom. And that's why in order to live wisely, we need to trust the Creator God. Or in order to know the building, we've got to know the architect. Just imagine, 
playing tennis, but thinking that the goal of the game is to smash the ball boy. It might be entertaining, but that's not tennis. Because it's only when we understand the rules of the game that we can maximize our enjoyment of it. And it's when we trust the author of life, when we fear the Lord. We learn how to live well, because he created this world and set the rules of the game. You see, if you want to understand creation, it pays to know the creator. But God didn't just set up this world like a clockmaker to take a step back. No, in Jesus, God is actively involved in our, work, in our world today. Just look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For everything was created by him, that is Jesus, in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. But not just that, and not just then. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and right now, by him, all things hold together. Isn't that amazing? Right this very moment, Jesus is ruling over this world as king. He's in control of absolutely event, absolutely every event. He's conscious of every detail. He's working all things together for our good and his glory. You see, if Jesus rules over every part of this world, he cares about every part of our lives. And not just the super spiritual stuff. No, he cares for the glory and the ordinary. Because nothing is too small for our big God. The wonder of it all is, it's not just that God wants to help us. It's that he's able to help us. Because Jesus created and sustains this world, so he alone has the power. You know, when life doesn't seem to make sense, we think, this shouldn't be happening to me. In those moments, depend on the God who created this world. Depend on the God who sustains this world. When the world doesn't seem like it's going as it should be, fear the Creator God who is in control of all things. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So fear the covenant God who loves you. Fear the creator God who sustains you. Wisdom. It all starts with a relationship. It all starts with a relationship with God. But it's much more than just the beginning of wisdom. It's also the goal of wisdom. Just look at chapter 2, verse 5. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? We look at chapter 1, verse 7. It says, if you want wisdom, then fear the Lord. But chapter 2, verse 5 says that once you get wisdom, you'll then understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. I wonder if you can see what Solomon is saying. He's saying that the ultimate act of wisdom is to know the God of wisdom. Wisdom is all about being in a right relationship with God. You see, if you don't trust this God, if you don't depend on Him, if you don't fear Him, if you don't worship Him, you will never be wise. You will never, know to how, you will never know how to live rightly in this world until you know the God who has created it. You will never know how to live rightly in this world until you trust the God who loves you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you here I know are asking that question, what should I be when I grow up? What uni degree should I study? What job should I take? And some of you may think, well, you know, Proverbs, what a great book. I'll check that up. But Proverbs won't tell you to be a doctor, lawyer, or accountant, or any other respectable profession. 
Proverbs isn't some instruction manual for every conceivable situation in life. Because let's face it, right, life just always manages to find a way to rip us a new one. Because every problem is remarkably unique. But wisdom will tell us where to begin, how to continue, and how to finish. Because when a whole new problem crops up, what we do flows out of who we are. And who we are flows out from the God who we know. So do you know this God? Do you trust Him? Do you depend on Him for every life decision? Do you fear the God of promise who loves you? Do you love the Creator God who sustains you? Do you love Jesus? Because if you do, can I say you're on the right track? Because wisdom begins, continues and ends with fearing the Lord. Now you might be sitting here and you might not be a Christian and you might think this wisdom thing sounds great. But I want to know how to make good decisions in life. I want to know that I'm studying the right thing. I want to know that I've got the right job. I want to know that I'm marrying the right person, which is always an important thing to know. Let me be clear. If you're not a Christian, Proverbs wants to urge you, don't despise wisdom and discipline. Don't ignore this. I'm begging you, don't be foolish. Don't think you can do life without God. Don't try to play this game if you don't know the rules. Because you'll never know the rules unless you know the ruler. If you don't know this God, if you don't know Jesus then can I urge you to make the wisest decision you will ever make. Trust Him. Fear Him. Follow Him. Let me pray. God of all wisdom, teach us to fear You as the God who created this world and saved us out of sin and death. Make us wise for life. Make us wise for salvation and make us wise in Christ. Amen.